2: Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Send to her by the man that slew her brothers a pair of bleeding hearts. Thereon engrave Edward and York. Then happily will she weep. Therefore present to her, as sometimes Margaret did to thy father, steeped in Rutland's blood, a handkerchief which
0: say to her did drain the purple sap from her sweet brother's body, and bid her wipe her weeping eyes withal. If this inducement move her not to love, send her a letter of thy noble deeds, tell her thou madest away her uncle Clarence, her uncle River's eye, and for her sake madest quick
3: conveyance with her good Aunt Anne.
0: Hello and welcome to The Plays the Thing, your podcast for all things Shakespeare. My name is Tim Mcintosh and I'm joined again by Emily Maietta. Emily, welcome back to the act where Richard gets everything that he wants and surprise surprise isn't happy. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: It's great to be here, Tim. I'm excited to talk about this. You are right.
0: Um The opening audio that we heard was from Queen Elizabeth. She said, Sent Mm -hmm. by her, by the man that slew her brothers a pair of bleeding hearts thereon, engrave Mm -hmm. Edward and York. Then happily Mm -hmm. will she weep. We've got a little foretaste there of what's going to happen in this scene. These two young men, they're really boys, they're not even young men, like Mm -hmm. age, I think, 12 and 9, have been in the tower and we find out as soon as Richard takes the throne that he cannot abide their lives anymore. But I think maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, Emily. I'm getting a little mm-hmm. bit ahead of myself.
1: You are. You are. Don't, don't skip to uh, scene three. I think that's scene three.
0: I think it is scene three. That's right. Um, I, I just want to observe, though, that you know we have, during the first three acts of this play, watching Richard plot and connive and maneuver. Sometimes he plays, you know, he acts like he's hurt by people's insults. And the next Mm -hmm. minute he's stabbing them in the back. And the next minute he is posing with two priests, you know, to appear as if he's a very holy and devout man. And Mm -hmm. now early in the scene, we know that he's going to get, the, he's going to get the crown, but the scene enters with with women. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these women who are basically suffering all of the villainy done by Richard, and they show mm-hmm. up again. So at the top of the act and later in the act, they show up in both places. They're 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 really fascinating scenes. Mm-hmm. they're, in some ways, kind of prophetic scenes. In some ways, they struck me as funeral dirges. Maybe I could say more mm-hmm. about that in a little bit. Um, but in scene one, act four, they are clearly worried about the two boys, Prince Edward and the Duke of York. And when mm-hmm. they show up at the Tower of London, where these boys are being kept, they are denied entry. And this is confirming, you know, their worry that the soon-to-be crowned Richard might kill the two boys, as potential heirs to their throne.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And their worries are correct, yes. aren't they?
1: March. It's funny because the, the jailer at the Tower of London says the king has str- strictly charged to the contrary to be able to visit the princes. And Queen Elizabeth says, the king? Mm-hmm. Who's that? <laughs> right? So she doesn't even know that Richard has ascended the throne. And he's quickly, the jailer quickly backtracks and says, oh, I mean the Lord protector. Uh-huh. And they all say, you cannot keep him from us. You cannot, you cannot keep them from us. I am their mother, the Duchess of York, Richard's mother says, I am their father's mother, right? They're pulling out all of their ties of, um, I am their aunt, says Anne. Uh So yeah, you get these women who are sort of in a constellation around Richard, um, circling around him, and all of them know how evil he is. right? But that will not prevent them. From being used by him again, again at the end of again,
0: the end of this act. But and I also love uh, what you highlighted that they're kind of pulling out their credentials. Like, look, here's my American yes. passport, and look, I can call the yes. ambassador and I can call my state senator. Yes. Don't matter. It does not matter. Yes, Richard's going to be Richard.
1: Yes, and uh, Queen Elizabeth quickly uh, wakes up to the fact that her last remaining son must leave. Dorset. Right. Dorset. Said, get out of here. And get to get to Richmond and get out of here.
0: We circle back to that at the end of the act and we'll touch on mm-hmm. that Dorset is in the field and mm-hmm. that is going to be how we close this act. Mm-hmm. Um not even Lady Anne who we opened the play with is safe from from Richard.
1: Mm-mm. No, and we're, it's, she knows this in this scene. She has a long, it's actually very interesting because we get their dialogue back and forth where Richard woos her. And then in this act, we get her interpretation of the events, right? So she looks back on herself and is thinking, I was walking behind my husband's Mm -hmm. court and he was wooing me. And she says at line 78, Within so small a time, my woman's heart grossly grew captive to his honey words and proved the subject of my own soul's curse. So she has now recognized, and at the end of this, she says, uh, he hates my father. He hates me for my father and will no doubt shortly be rid of me. Yeah. So she's very clear. She knows what's going on. She, she, he will get rid of her as well. Yeah. She is not safe from his bloodthirstiness.
0: Nobody is, nobody is. nobody is. Emily.
1: and they all know it. they all they know all it. know it. all the women. But, um, the Duchess of York, she is particularly interesting to me because um, she does not suffer from what other mothers can suffer from, which is an undue sense of their own child's importance. She understands mm. clearly that Richard, has been um a means of sorrow and unceasing weariness for her yeah her years have been racked with sorrow. eighty odd years of sorrow have I seen, she says
0: in in scene. so yeah, I' think, in scene four, she sort of, rattles off that list of like, all of the different stages of his youth, mm-hmm. boyhood, you know, young adult. Yes. And and she's yes. like, okay, when you were a boy, you were ornery and you were like, yes. a, you know, a terrible. thorn in my side. And she just gives yes. this Rolodex of kind of like, you no. were terrible then, you were terrible then, you were terrible then. And I, and I found it kind of interesting because it's kind of like, yeah, Richard, Richard didn't arrive at his evil late in life. He was... Yeah. He was just a like he was a bad boy from the beginning, is what it sounds <laughs> like it, according to his mom.
1: Is it is it the fact that he has proven so evil that now she looks back and says, That's a great question. Past, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right? Yeah, he may have but been a I, perfect I delight as a teenager, you know, or as a twelve year old, but then she sees yes. who he is now is like actually the
1: confirmation yeah. of what of Born fruit, right? Because we as parents know that our children provide us with plenty of um mixed <laughs> experiences. Yeah. That in the light of their um flourishing as adults, we can look back on with, um, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know, a certain heartfelt gratefulness for how it helped them to grow. But his flourishing has come out to be that of a, a death-eating dog. Is uh-huh. what she. Uh-huh at some point. And so now it is confirmed that all of those signs were to uh, be confirmed in his bad flourishing, not his
0: happy flourishing. Speaking of parents who kind of like have plenty of evidence for, you know, like your kid being wonderful and your kid being spiteful. There's a great line in the winter's tale first scene in Mm -hmm. winter's tale, which we both really love. When Polixenes, yes. the visiting king, is talking about his son who is back in Bohemia, yep. and he has these lines where someone asks him, "Like, tell me what your boy is like," and he's like, "One day he's my general, the next day he's my best friend, then he's this, yep. and then he's that." Yep. And you know, he's like, he's yep. his boy is both of those things. He he loves him, and he also like, suffers the boy's ill temper. <laughs>
1: exactly, <laughs> that's such a good recall. But we know that Florizel turns out to be a delight, a a good, a good copy of his exactly right.
0: That's right. (laughs) The scene ends with Lady Anne being taken to be crowned with Richard, and then we see Richard, newly crowned, walks into the courtroom and he gloats very briefly, and then immediately falls into anxiety that will last the rest of the play. He sees threats everywhere. And I I can't help but remember this quote that I read about Stalin. Stalin was a murderous man. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the saying Mm -hmm. is when Stalin and Hitler met on the battlefield, Hitler was the good guy. You know, that like as far as just like total body counts, like Stalin was. As
1: far as that is for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't come. Here.
0: The story is um, that the U.S. ambassador to the Kremlin during World War II woke Stalin 3 a.m. to tell him that President Roosevelt had died. Hmm. And the story goes that Stalin holds the ambassador's hand silently for a minute, and then he draws him near and he says, "You really need to make sure that the president wasn't poisoned." <laughs> right, because yeah. because this is yeah. kind of like the that's mindset mind exactly. Yeah, the mindset of this murderous beast sees yes. threats everywhere because yes. he was a threat to everybody. Yes, exactly. And so, so that's what we see from Richard. Yes, as soon as he becomes king, his eyes are scanning the horizon. For his potential threats. Of course, the two boys who are in the Tower of London are the biggest threats because of their heritage. But even yes. Buckingham. Buckingham. We knew it. Yes. We knew Buckingham yes, was not did. gonna be able to last long.
1: Yes, I think this is where um the brilliance of the actor comes in. This back and forth, don't you think the back and forth writing between Richard and Buckingham? It's really it's good. It's really good. Richard is obsessed with his, um, uh, you know, his enemies or what he perceives as his enemies. And Buckingham, like I, I, yeah, I can just imagine this. Like it takes so much skill to play this well because Buckingham is like, wait, I have to catch my breath, right? Because Richard is saying, uh, but Edward lives. Yes, he does. Uh-huh. But you're king. Uh-huh. But Edward lives." And Buckingham is trying not to pick up what Richard is throwing down. Yes, right, right. Write <laughs> it down. And Buckingham is trying not to pick it up, and then Buckingham figures out he wants me to kill the princes. Like, don't you think? Do you think that Buckingham is like this is a bridge too far? I think. I think so, for sure, for sure. Anyway, I just it, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, I would love to see this acted because I want to see like the cleverness with which Richard would have to play this, and Buckingham too. Right. You know, there's right. there's a
0: a subtlety to this scene. It's a ch- it's a chess match because.
3: It is. Richard
0: probably knows, okay, even though I've hacked down everybody in my way, there's still, I know that killing the boys is a bridge too far. Yeah, And Buckingham can't do that. Like Buckingham, who's, you know, his hands are dipped in blood, but he knows that he can't go this far. And so it seems to me in this scene, at the beginning of the exchange, Buckingham's best ally is... Ignorance and he kind of like yes. wears the mantle of ignorance as long as he can. Yes. What are you talking yes. about, bro? Like you're yes. gonna have to spell it yes. out for me, bro. Yes. Because as soon yes. as he understands what Richard is saying and is no longer behind the veil of ignorance, then to some degree his neck is on the line because Richard is asking yes. him to to kill the boys. Yes,
1: yes, yes. and Richard's aside. I will converse with iron witted fools and unrespective boys. None are for me that look into me with considerate eyes. High reaching Buckingham, grows circumspect. Yeah. He's like, really? Yeah. Now you're gonna say, Really? <laughs> right. Right. Oh. oh, but it's so it, it's um it's a great scene to sort of see like the poisoning of Richard's mind.
0: Oh right. Right.
1: Right. Our Richard has been poisoned yeah. with his hungriness of his bloodthirstiness. Um, And then he says he he needs to find somebody who will just do it for money. Like there's got to be, somebody who will do it for money. Come on.
0: James Tyrell.
1: Yeah. What a funny character. What a funny
0: character. (laughs) It's, it's, it's so weird. Like Buckingham kind of, you know, he kind of shrugs and he kind of realizes, Oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. I've got to do something about this. I can't kill the boys. And so Richard is like, man, I need a good henchman. And he finds a good henchman. Tyrell comes in to kill the boys. And Tyrell just shows up for these two scenes. And know, then he it's disappears. So, it's so bizarre. He's not
1: there. It's one of the things that I think about in this play. There are so many characters. So many characters. And so many ever, overlapping names that sometimes you're like, Shakespeare, can you keep all of these threads going? Right. <laughs> Can you keep, can the audience comprehend? I mean, I'm sure it was easier at his time when the events were near, but there really are a lot of characters. We get the funny like citizens that show up, the mayor. I mean, I feel like this has almost more characters. It's it's a larger cast. Yeah, it seems like a
0: huge cast. And sometimes I think, okay, I'm imagining that during the writing of the play, a bunch of Shakespeare's cousins showed up and they're like, wait you're a writer give us a part, part. that would be I'll be I'll be like make me a murderer guy okay you're gonna be Terrell
1: yeah we've got the murderers with Clarence yeah, right there's right. The other bunch and then we've got Terrell Tyr- that shows up like who, who is this guy who is this guy
0: yeah I think Shakespeare like again mean, his cousin apart and then he re- he realized he couldn't act and he was like out. uh let's get Terrell off the stage write him out of the story. <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> So, but Terrell does go to the tower. He does kill the boys. Buckingham flees. Now, let's just pause and dip into history a little bit. Those who think that Shakespeare is performing a hack job on Richard III, you know, like, oh, come on. Richard yeah. III didn't actually kill his two bad. boys. Well, historians agree about this. Yeah. The boys were, were murdered. 1483, yeah. during the late summer. We're pretty sure about yeah. that. And about 50 years after Shakespeare's death, they did a search in the Tower of London and found two small human skeletons.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I know you, you, you can go for a while and think, oh, he was mean to him about being hunched back and all of that. But the two princes, they did die. It,
0: it's It's hard to overlook <laughs> that one.
1: Hard to overlook it. They did die. Yeah. And even at the end of this scene, before Buckingham flees, Richard is um, you know, having his own conversation. Now he's obsessed. Okay, he's got he's gotten rid of, or he will have rid himself of the boys. But now he's got this problem of Richmond. Yeah. And Buckingham is like, I'm going to get out what he promised me. Yes. I'm gonna get out to give me what he promised me. Um, and they're they're like at cross purposes. The conver I, this is another portion of this scene that I think takes deft acting do you know to bring it out loud. yes because richard that's now with richmond right and richmond will spell his doom and buckingham is like um i have done a lot for you and you better give me what
0: you promised. remember that piece for. of land that you promised yeah and oh so I, I want it <laughs> I, richard's richard's response i think is kind of i, I kind of like it begrudgingly he's like I am not in the vein for giving. Yes. You're like, oh, okay. I, I mean, it's just like a real fancy way of saying, yeah, I just.
1: I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood. I, I, like, you're not. Do you not get that I'm obsessed right now with my enemies? I'm not in the mood to give you yeah, anything.
0: <laughs> that promise that I made you that you've served me toward, you know, yeah. all of your, like the last years of your adult life. Yeah, I'm not in the, I'm not in the vein for granting that right now. Which, and then it, it's like, Part of me is sort of like, hey, Buckingham, did you expect I anything know. else?
1: Exactly. How stupid have you been that you think But this is the thing with people like this? Yes. Isn't it? And this, we talked about this at the beginning, like you somehow, this is our own fault in complicity. We somehow think we're going to be different. Buckingham thinks he's going to be different. Right.
0: Right. He's not. He's not going to be different.
1: Made I him king for this? Well, Oh, let me think on Hastings. Yeah, think on Hastings because Hastings figured it out too late also. Right,
0: right for sure. I have a little bit more sympathy with Hastings than I do for Buckingham. Do Buckingham too. was there the whole time. You're like, he, he saw all of it. He saw all of it.
1: I know, I do too.
0: So soon after Terrell kill, kills the boys, Richard reveals that Queen Anne is dead. Queen Anne, who he wooed in you know, whatever, second scene, third scene of the whole play, he doesn't miss a beat. He immediately <laughs> turns toward the wooing of his niece, Elizabeth. Just, okay, Anne's dead. No problem. No problem. I Here I come, Elizabeth.
1: I yeah. It's so awful.
0: Buckingham, him. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go well, ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to carry on and kind of like trying to to bring all these plot points together. Cause we know act five, what to expect. We're going to be on the battlefield. We're going to be on the battlefield. And so
1: it's building, it's building there. That's right. Yeah.
0: After he decides he's going to woo Elizabeth, an advisor comes in, tells him Buckingham's in the field, meaning um, an army is being mustered against you. And so now Richard does the same thing. Um, Yeah. And we, The conclusion of the act is this long, I want to really spend some time on this scene. It's this long scene, a return of the main women in Richard's life who wish that they weren't in Richard's life. And they are all returning, Queen Margaret, Queen Elizabeth, the Duchess of York, And we're finding out, we're kind of reminded that Queen Margaret's curses early on in the play, all the curses are coming true. That She's kind of this prophetess figure. Um, They're all coming true. And Elizabeth, who Margaret views as a usurper, an accomplice to murder, is now, she's just as miserable as Margaret hoped she earlier would be die Mm -hmm. neither mother, wife, nor England's queen. So all of these things are coming home to roost. Now, I want to dwell on this scene because it's, it's, it's a really wonderful scene. The construction of it is kind of unique, Emily, because the first part of the scene, when the women come on stage, they're not really talking to each other.
1: Right. Right? Yeah, we get. Uh, Mar- well, Margaret is um, commenting on the misery of Elizabeth and the Duchess of York because they are more talking together, yeah. right? Because the Duchess of York is both mother or grandmother to Elizabeth's children and mother of Richard, so she's got a dual agony, right? Because she she is the grandmother of the princess who been slain. But Margaret is kind of commenting on their conversation, right? And she's like. All of this that you're so sad. Were you sad equally when I lost? Right? Because I mean, that's her point to them is none of them were sad when her husband was killed and when her son was killed, which is what she keeps bringing up. Like now, this sadness that I have experienced, now you have it too. Right. It, I, I. It's a bit. It's not gloating. I think it's. I think it's confirmatory. You know, just yeah. that like, com- uh, misery. Company in misery. Yeah. <laughs> She's. Now you all know this this sadness that I have carried. Now you all know it, and it's not like a happiness over them, but it is a uh, somewhat of a comfort to her that she, I don't know, you know,
0: yeah, misery, M- misery loves, loves company, company. right? Yeah, you're right. She's but not gloating.
1: She isn't gloating, but and yet she's she's grateful that they have been awakened to what this yes, blood—that's what is it is.
0: That's what it is. Hey, I want to hear a little bit of this audio in exchange between Margaret and the Duchess. And you, I want to call our listeners' attention to the second grouping of lines from Margaret that begin, Thou hast a Clarence too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy wound hath crept a hellhound that doth hunt us all to death. I just want listeners to kind of listen for that during the audio that follows because you discovered something in the reading and I was really impressed by how closely you read this because I breezed right over it. But just camp listeners to From Forth the Kennel of Thy Womb hath crept a hellhound that doth hunt all of us. Let's listen to Queen Margaret and the Duchess.
3: If ancient sorrow be most reverend. Give mine the benefit of seniority, and let my griefs frown on the upper hand, if sorrow can admit society. Tell all your woes again by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland too, thou helpedst to kill him. Thou hadst a Clarence too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb hath crept a hellhound that hath hunt us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to weary lambs and lap their gentle blood. That Foul defacer of God's handiwork! That excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in galled eyes of weeping souls, thy womb let loose to chase us to the death! Oh upright, just and true disposing God, how do I thank thee that this carnal cur prays on the issue of his mother's body and makes her fuel fellow with others moan?
0: That was Queen Margaret, O oh, upright, just, and true, disposing God. How I do thank Thee that this carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body, and mm-hmm. makes her pew fellow with others moan. There's a r- strong sense of that the justice of God is is coming. It's arriving. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you picked up something in those earlier lines from this grouping of lines from Margaret. Mm -hmm. Thou hast a Clarence too, she says to the Duchess. Thou hast a Clarence too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb crept a hellhound that doth hunt us all to death. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us what you you saw.
1: Um, That wording rang in my mind um, from one of the most striking images in Paradise Lost, which is Sin, who's Mm. personified by Milton as a woman, who has um, these dogs come forth from her belly, and one of them is death. Mm. So death issues forth and is a hellhound that hunts. And I thought, oh my gosh, Milton loved Shakespeare. And I was like, this is such a picture of what sort of Milton capitalized upon And developed in Paradise Lost, this hellhound that hunt us all to death. Um, There's a lot in this scene as well about the underworld, like Letha is referred to. And I was like, ooh. That's the
0: river of forgetting, right? Letha is the river of forgetting. In the
1: underworld. But this passage from Paradise Lost came to me, and it's a description of sin, the woman. Mm -hmm. So, before the gates there sat on either side a formidable shape. The one seemed woman to the waist and fair, but ended foul in many a scaly fold." About her middle round, a cry of hellhounds never ceasing barked with wide Cerberian mouths full loud and rung a hideous peal. Yet when they list would creep if aught disturbed their noise into her womb and kennel there, yet there they're is. still barked and howled within unseen. So we have this image of um it, Margaret is it's such a awful image that yeah. like from her own womb has like, she's been the issue of this ravening dog that's hunting them all to death, right?
3: Yeah.
1: like And even feeds on his mother's own offspring. Yeah. Even his mother, like that's that image. So I just thought, wow.
0: That's a great catch, Emily. That's a great catch. I never would have seen it. I, I never would have seen it because I've never read Paradise Lost. That's the reason I never would have seen it. But it is, I mean, it's in the like- high in the pantheon of western literature written about 50 years after shakespeare's death a long epic poem about the creation the fall of man and eventually in paradise found the kind of redemption yeah Mm -hmm. and it's full of all sorts of really dark imagery and you know the story is that the most compelling character in the whole Epic poem is Satan, and we're seeing glimpses of of Milton's real capacity yes. with language in these. And it sure does sound like he borrowed, Isn't that, or, yeah, or
1: inspired, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like bitch.
0: maybe he, maybe he saw Richard the and these that that image, the kennel of thy womb, kind of yes. like was rattling around in his mind, and he found yes. it again when he's writing this particular part of the poem, it's a, it's a, it's a remarkable echo, remarkable literary echo.
1: It is. And that, I mean, when the, when I taught Paradise Lost, that image of sin, the way he conceives of her, it is, you know, it's a powerful image. (laughs) It's a powerful image. You kind of edited
0: yourself there. Were you uh, being sensitive to like the kids in the crowd or something?
1: Well, I, I don't know. Just, it's just, it's so disturbing. Yeah right so i mean sin it comes out of satan's head and then satan rapes sin and that's how we get death yeah powerful pretty gruesome would you say gross i said powerful imagery
0: yeah it is.
1: as we've said like uh satan and richard share a lot
0: they do yeah
1: i mean they share a lot in terms of their ability to warp reason, which we're going to get even stronger at the end of this act with Richard's conversation with Elizabeth, similarly to his conversation with Anne. But yeah, anyway, I uh, thought it's it's really interesting to see those resonances here.
0: I want to pause for just a second. Um, this podcast is brought to us by Belmont Honors College. I, I do, you, do you know the Honors College at Belmont Abbey, don't you, Emily, located I do. in I've Charlotte, heard really, North Carolina? I
1: really good things about it. Yeah. I've had um, friends, children um, check things out and do their summer program, and they've really benefited from the Honors College.
0: It brings out the good, the true, and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders with its great books-based program. The Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds while preparing them for a fruitful life. As someone who taught at a great books college, I cannot recommend highly enough that form of education, that kind of curriculum. I think so highly of just steeping young minds in the best that's been written and thought. I think it is, it is just the way to go. So students can major in the great books. Or you can choose a professional major founded on those great texts if you're part of the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. And with Scola, its summer high school program in July, start thinking ahead. It's only 10 months away. Mm -hmm. High school (laughs) students can get a taste taste of the experience combined with the great outdoors, lots of fun and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye. On this all-encompassing journey, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Go to their website. That's Belmont Abbey, A-B-B-E-Y. We recommend it to you very highly. Emily?-hmm After this scene with these women, Richard comes in. He is cursed by his mother the prophetess, Mm -hmm. we kind of see, if we read her closely, what we can expect from Richard.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And by the end of the scene, we know we are headed straight for battle. I mean, Richard's rule lasts for one act, basically, before he is into this. You used the word last week, inter-Nicene.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Before he's into this internecine, I don't even know what that word means. I hear it all the time on NPR.
1: It's like internal, like within a family, right? Right, Like within a, a smaller, it's like a civil war, except okay. it's with family, which we get really strongly. Well, where are you going with that? And then I'll come back to what
0: I wanted. I was going, I, what I was going with was I didn't know what that, I knew, I, I know that <laughs> word. I've heard that word before, but I didn't know <laughs> what it meant. And I wanted to, I wanted to start using it. So I was like, Hey, oh. walk me through the meaning of that word.
1: Yeah, an internal, like a family, like brother on brother, right? Yeah. Or um, when you said that, I thought, oh, I just read Politics in the English Language again with my class by George Orwell. Yeah. And he says you shouldn't be using words that, you know, people don't know the meaning of. So I shouldn't have used it. He says <laughs> you
0: shouldn't do that.
1: He says that too much writing in politics and academia, like the words obscure what you're trying to say. Oh, He's oh. Like, you no. Know, just use simple Anglo-Saxon words, basically meaning one-syllable
0: words. Okay. Right? Okay.
1: Like literary people want to sound smart, so they use like Greek and Latin roots, and nobody knows what they're saying. So that's dumb. So I'm I'm qualifying my use of internecine, but
0: okay. I do like the word. I love it's the a, word. I love the word. Good word. I, okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pause for a second. I'm gonna go on a on a total discursus. <laughs> um, have you ever taken StrengthsFinder?
1: Yes. You've taken time. De-
0: I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, like, what your strengths are. But one of mine is, um, I think it's called Command. And in oh. the little description, it says, you like hanging out with people who have great vocabularies. That's true. I swear. I swear. It's oh ex- And God. it's so true. I have said this to Galen over and over because Galen's got a wonderful vocabulary. And early on in our dating relationship, I was like, oh, man, I can relax because. Yeah. Because, like, I don't have I, – I can just use the words that kind of come to mind.
1: Yeah. So, and, anyway. oh, I don't have to be worried that she won't understand what I'm saying.
0: Or that I'll appear snooty or something like that. So yeah. I oh, – okay. all respect George Orwell, who was an elegant <laughs> yeah. and simple writer. Let's give him credit where credit is due. I don't <laughs> know that I'm with him on that.
1: All right. It's fair. I mean, when you see his examples, you're like, yeah, you have no idea what you're saying. You're just using a bunch of words. It's gobbledygook. Yeah. So, I mean, he maybe would be okay with internizing. Anyway, I bet that is really. so funny that that is one of the descriptions. That's what's great about finders. It is. is that they, have, they have a broader way of um, thinking about your abilities and everything else.
0: Absolutely. We, we should get finders to be a, a support ad for this show.
1: We just gave them a
0: a free, free we just gave them free yeah, advertising.
1: Product placement. <laughs> anyway, what would Richard be? That's the question. What would
0: his strength finders be? <laughs> <laughs> Maniacal, murderous, yeah. tyrannical.
1: Oh.
3: So but yeah, back, yeah. can we
1: come back to the internet scene? Because I don't want to skip ahead from Queen Margaret because I think Like Queen Margaret is playing a particular role because she's trying to gather all of these women who have been on opposite sides from her, Yes, right? They've been against her purposes, but she's trying to gather them all. And she has a very strong speech where she says, because Duchess of York says, don't um, triumph over my woes. Like I have wept for your own woes. And Margaret says, I am not triumphing, but I want revenge. Like, and then she goes through this list and we get all of the overlapping names that have been so confusing. Like the Edward is dead that killed my Edward. Mm -hmm. The other Edward is dead to quit my Edward. Um, Back and forth, back and forth. But she says, um, it's so great. This is a great line. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed from hence. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray that I may live and say. The dog is dead. Mm. And so, what she's trying to do is to gather these women in an alliance to stop, the, to stop the bloodshed, to stop the war, right? To stop the back and forth that has caused them, all of them, so much pain. You and mentioned
0: uh, re- before we started recording, that this is not an uncommon occurrence of women gathering during kind of civil war con type conflicts. And it's oftentimes the women who take the first steps in, in shutting it down or in, in galvanizing in such a way. You mentioned the troubles that apparently there was kind of a step early in the resolution of the troubles in Ireland. Can you, could you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, I was thinking particularly of that, especially, you know, Northern Ireland. Well, it's, Catholic and Protestant, but nonetheless internecine because they're all Irish, Um, you know, so much trouble there, so much bloodshed back and forth. And um, a Catholic woman and a Protestant woman came together and formed a society called Women Together. And it was really viewed as one of the most important steps taken Toward ending the bloodshed. Now it took many years. It did not happen slowly. But them, but they them coming together, it was the sense of we are losing our children. We do not want to lose our children, which is exactly what Margaret is saying here in this. Like we must stop this because all of us are suffering the pain for this back and forth fighting over the throne. Yeah. Right. We have to stop this.
0: I'm thinking of, yes, let's come
1: together against Richard. Let's come together against Richard. We have to stand against him.
0: So that's something that we can look forward to how that plays out. I mean, we know we're going to battle. We know we're going to the battlefield, but it'll be interesting to see how, if there's any reference to this kind of like bond among the women in act five, When, when you mention how the women galvanized during the troubles in Ireland, I thought about the mother's of the Plaza de Mayo. De Mayo, excuse me, I'm probably mispronouncing it. In Argentina, do you know about this, Emily? No. They they these young men in Argentina yes in the 70s yes started disappearing and yes. they were being they were they were considered these young men enemies of the state yes. and they were just never heard from again and so these mothers started showing up in this major plaza. I've been to it in Buenos Aires Mm -hmm. and they would wear diapers, cloth diapers, and they would tie their hair up in these cloth diapers as Mm -hmm. a way to kind of like signal that I am among those mothers who has
3: lost lost
0: their son. Mm -hmm. And and they're anyway, they were kind of like mocked as mothers of terrorists, Mm -hmm. but those women organized these marches of resistance that really ended up doing a ton Huge. of goods. It, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. another example of what you're talking about that like yes. the men go on, you know, just like, like tyrants bloodying themselves. Yes. And then in their wake, women come in, gather together can no longer tolerate all of the bloodshed because it's oftentimes their own children who are being children. lost yeah
3: the,
1: the recall to relationship right yes the
0: right right
1: these are the bonds that bring us together um the, Argentina is so crazy do you know that thirty five thousand people were thrown out of planes over the ocean what yeah when? that was part of in in that same time no way. Like, yes the dictator and that's where a lot of them were going because they were just disappearing like literally disappearing because their bodies were never found anyway that's that's an aside but that is crazy
0: crazy at least argentina is oh. doing well today wait well, that's good I'm, no i was just kidding it's it's like <laughs> the economic situation this mass, is not a podcast yeah. about argentinian okay. well, we'll keep economics back. yeah we'll keep coming back that's right
1: but nonetheless resonances throughout history yeah. of this
0: I mean, Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that, like, this is the reason to study history. Is you see what what's the saying? History doesn't repeat, but it echoes.
3: It echoes, right? Yes.
0: And to see something like this, that like that women responding to to situations like this, which are brutal and uncannily bloody, that responding to kind of like reconnecting with each other and saying no more is like you know a source of hope.
1: An essential um, element to civilization.
0: <laughs> An essential element to civilization. Or maybe I, maybe you could even say like the restoration of civilization restoration after it's been lost.
1: Civilization, Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm thinking of we, we could go on and on with this because I'm thinking of so many other examples, but we should probably keep going.
0: Maybe men- mention one more. I'm curious.
1: I'm thinking of, um, I did a musicology course. This is very different, but... Um, of a tribe in Venezuela. And it was exactly the same thing where the men were want to you know, go to war in tribal um, upsets, but the women had a powerful tool in fighting this. And the tool was these songs of lament that they were allowed to sing in the public square. And so it was kind of like this curb on murderous rampages where wow. they would take up the lament and everything has to stop when the lament begins. And you said that these women is almost like a funeral dirge. It is like a lament. It is like Rachel weeping for her children and she will not be comforted. So when it, when this happened within this tribe, this was the women's recourse to making things reset. Like mm. we will go and will lament and nothing can happen when that happens. And so it's like a week of lamenting. And so it was a study of their songs. But anyway, a similar thing.
0: Emily, I think that we should close with um, a little bit of Gorecki's third symphony. Do you know that, that, that the, so, um, the female voice? The symphony voice? of
1: powerful songs. Yes. yes.
0: Right? Is it the yes. second movement?
1: Uh, I believe it is. I haven't looked at it for a long time. It is the second movement. Great.
0: It would be lovely to hear that,
1: Recall Logan, yes. to,
0: to close this out. It's It's a... If I recall correctly, Gretzky, Polish composer, yes, lived after Polish World composer. War II, and it's, yes. a, it's a lament of the Holocaust, and it has this yes. incredible, I don't know the name, an aria, a... I don't know what you would call. Yeah, I mean,
1: well, it's unusual because it's not usually in symphonies, right? But yeah, she's singing an aria. It's a female voice with the orchestra.
0: Yeah, she comes alongside the violins, and that might be a nice way. Thank you. That was, you know, every blind dog gets a bone every once in a while. That was.
1: That is such a great connection. Oh, I love it, and it's it it is perfect for this act because that that dominates this act. It really does this act.
0: Yeah, it really does. Hopefully justice will come at the end, uh, by the end of act five. It sure will. Good. That's reassuring. (laughs) Emily, thanks for joining me and uh, can't wait to talk about the conclusion of Richard III next week.